Hi everyone, welcome to Food Culture Curious. This is episode 5. On today's episode, my friend Ramiro sits and chats with us about the nutrition care challenges that the Hispanic and Latina population face. Enjoy! Hi everybody, welcome to Food Culture Curious. My name is Areli. I'm a registered dietitian on a mission to help healthcare practitioners be more culturally competent with their nutrition recommendations. Today with me, I have my friend Ramiro and he's gonna talk to us a little bit about nutrition, food culture, and healthcare. Welcome, Ramiro. Hey, welcome. Hello, everybody. I'm Ramiro, nice to meet everybody. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and what food cultures you identify with. So I guess I would say I'm um, Mexican, um, and I identify with Mexican food culture, but I guess obviously growing up in Texas, I also identify with Tex-Mex cuisine since it's something that's very common here in Texas. Um, and then just, you know, after being here in the United States so long, you know, I also identify with a lot of like, you know, regional American um, cold food cultures, if you will. Um, but I'd say I predominantly identify with Mexican culture uh, when it comes to my food and to the food choices um, and even the things I like to cook and the things I like to do um, that involve our food culture. I'd say they heavily lean on uh, Mexican culture. Romero, so you have a really awesome role that lets you see healthcare from many different angles. Can you talk to us about your position and what being a Latino RD brings to your role? Yeah, so in my in my current role or my current job, um, I'm a manager for a large hospital system, um, and I manage a department across seven hospitals. Um, prior to that, um, I was lead RD at a dialysis provider, um, and then prior to that, I've worked at multiple hospitals, inpatient, outpatient. But one big thing that's been central to me being a Latino and also being a dietitian, when we look at that intersection, has been being able to see the uh, healthcare uh, experience through the lens of a Latino um, and that could mean many things like that could mean how we engage with um, healthcare and nutrition recommendations specifically but also how people navigate the healthcare system um, who are Latino right um, one of the biggest things that I learned in my first job was how essential it was to speak a second language um, I was hired at my first RD job in an outpatient hospital setting, but it was a community hospital. So that uh, hospital was responsible for providing the majority of indigent care here in the Houston area. And it's um, very well known as one of like the better hospitals that you know we've had for a long time here in the, in the city. But it's one of those things that I didn't realize just how coveted Latino RDs would be in these positions. They couldn't keep us faster then they could hire us you know people would hire would get hired and then they'd leave um, and so there was a lot of breaks in continuity of care for these patients and the majority of the population that this hospital system serves are underserved communities and a big chunk of that is spanish-speaking latinos um, and this is where they get their health care like i think in the latino community here in houston it was a known thing that like oh if you are um, you know an undocumented person or if you are someone who can't afford health care this is the place you go it's always been like the default right and even people you know identify with saying oh I, I go here for my health care and everybody kind of knows that that's the place that's free and you know <clears throat> the wait times are ridiculous and whatnot 
but it's good healthcare. It just happens to be very oversaturated with patients. Um, but I very quickly found out how valuable I was as a Spanish-speaking dietitian because there was there wasn't that many, and there still aren't. Um, the other piece of it was once I moved into the renal spectrum, um, I started learning and seeing how having uh, that Latino cultural background could help me troubleshoot patients when they were uh, having problems or when they were having issues. Things that other dietitians wouldn't even think of being uh, something that they would assess for or they wouldn't even think of it being a question to ask um, came natural to me. And so I remember multiple times I, I shared a clinic with uh, another dietitian for several years and that other dietitian always changed out. I think I had about three people that shared the office with me over the course of like seven or eight years and I can remember many distinct experiences where they would just tell me like oh I'm having trouble with this patient I have no idea what's what's going on why is this potassium or this phosphorus high and they've been working on it for weeks and I would go in there and in like five minutes I could troubleshoot what was going on but that's because I had a unique lens to look at the problem with um, and even in, in my current role now um, I don't see patients as much I kind of just see them when there's a fun one that one of my dietitians is seeing um, but even now I can see how sometimes health literacy in the Latino community can impact a, a patient's outcomes right and also their understanding and application of nutrition knowledge um, and how that can either sometimes help them but sometimes that can hinder them too um, as we're aware Latinos have a lot of um, beliefs right about health and nutrition and there's a lot of like um, I guess for lack of a better word like misconceptions about what nutrition does and doesn't do for a person and what like alternative medicine I guess the place of alternative medicine within healthcare um, so they've been interesting things to navigate now and then one of the big things I've focused a lot with my current group of dietitians is just getting them more comfortable um, with managing um, especially patients who are not ready to engage in change um, to get them to manage that in a way that's um, you know patient-centered but also takes a look at like the um, cultural pieces of, of the of the spectrum that we have to work with our patients on. So you bring up some very interesting points about challenges that the Latino population has in healthcare. It sounds like big barriers include um, the language, the problem with documentation being undocumented, residency, and therefore not having um, access to facilities that might better meet their needs, there not being enough Latino dietitians that understand their culture. How can we as Latino dietitians and those dietitians that are not Latino help with these challenges? Um, I think a big piece of it is understanding where the, who the patient is and where they come from. It is really rare to have the ideal patient walk through the door. Like, you're not going to find the ideal patient. And if you do, it's one in a million, right? You're going to have to work with patients who lack the knowledge, right, and find a way to bridge that gap in knowledge in a way that they can understand. And that's respectful to them, right? That's not condescending. Because there were so many times that, you know, providers just assumed that somebody didn't know something, but they really did, right? They just didn't speak English, right? And they couldn't verbalize it, but they understood the concept of blood sugar or whatnot. Um, I think sometimes we walk into a room or into a consult, into a conversation with preconceived notions of what the patient is. And regardless of whether we're Latino or not as a dietitian, sometimes we walk in with a preconceived notion of what the patient is. 
and what they're not. So I think also changing our mindset as to how we approach the conversation with the patient, right? And thinking through like, what is, what, what are we there to solve for with the patient, right? Is it a diabetes consult? Are we talking to them about phosphorus? Is it a weight management consult? Is this for fatty liver, right? Regardless of what, what the diagnosis is, right? Thinking through with the patient uh, where they are in that process. Have they accepted the change, right? Are they ready to make steps and move forward, right? And then the other piece of it, too, um, understanding what some patient's limitations are, right? We can make all the recommendations in the world, but if a patient doesn't have the financial means to carry them through, like those recommendations really go nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think as part of our assessment as dietitians, should go into looking at the, some of the social determinants of health that impact nutrition, right? So we tend to ask, you know, questions about like, who does the cooking at home and whatnot? But sometimes we don't even ask like, well, you know, what does your know, shopping look like? You know, how often do you do it? We, we maybe not have some of the conversations that uh, go into a little bit about, you know, their background. You know, do they understand like the pieces of the conversation, right? Um, I think there's a way that we can assess social determinants of health, like education and financial means and those types of things that are sometimes touchy subjects with patients in a respectful way, you know, as dietitians, right? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to help the patient, right? Um, and so we have to understand everything about what we're working with. I think we make the mistake of focusing just on the clinical data, and then we miss the psychosocial piece of it all. Right. And that's really the piece that matters when we're trying to make an impact in a patient's life. Right. Yeah. We have to know the clinicals. What's their A1C? You know, what medications are they on? You know, what's their appetite look like? Bowel movements, you know, comorbidities. But we also should be assessing, you know, and getting into the routine habit of assessing those social determinants of health that impact our population that we're working with. Right. And so if you know you tend to work with a population, for example, that are heavy drug users, right? And you know, and you're you're solving for nutritional interventions and nutritional problems, right? Um, it would help you to know like a little bit more about that piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, working with an eating disorder patient, right? It would help to know what what how were they raised and thinking about food, right? And how that plays into the choices that they make and their illness, right? It's no different than um, having a Latino patient, right? Um, yeah, we can understand their clinical piece, but do you understand, like, what country they're coming from, um, their level of education, right, um, what what their social support looks like and how that plays out into the choices that they make with food and nutrition? Yeah. So it sounds like um, taking into consideration not only being culturally competent, but also thinking about where they're coming from economically, where they're coming from psychologically, all of those impact their nutrition health care. Um, there is one thing I would like a little bit of advice from you since you brought it up. I know that in our culture, we have these strong beliefs of um, where medicine comes in versus things on a more spiritual level. Um, can you talk about how you work with that with a patient? For example, they, they don't believe in medicine, but they'll take herbal supplements, something like that. How do you work with that? Yeah, so that's a really good question because it comes up often working with Latino populations. Um, I think the first way to approach something like that is ask to understand, like ask the question to understand, not to belittle them or to, you know, 
make a face about it, but ask to understand, like, okay, so you, you don't believe in medicine. Like, tell me a little bit about why that is or what, what causes the distrust in, in the medical community. Um, I, I see that a lot with my mom. Like, my mom, like, she'll have to get, like, 10 people's opinion before she actually goes and sees the doctor about something, right? Um, and so sometimes I take the time to ask her, like, well, why? Like, what's the hesitation? What's the fear? And sometimes it's like, oh, well, I don't want them to prescribe me medicine. And it's like, well, let's work through that fear, right? Let's, so if you're telling me that you don't believe in going to the doctor because you don't want to take medicine, what makes you think they're going to prescribe medicine, right? And if they do prescribe medicine, what's the worst thing about that, right? And what about all that is true. And what about that is just irrational things that come into our minds, right? So probe a little bit. And again, probe with the intent of understanding and not with the intent of us trying to say, oh, well, that's wrong. Or you don't, you, you shouldn't think that. Or actually, this is what it is, right? Um, first probe with the intent of understanding and then kind of go through and discuss how, how are you going to merge the two, right? Your agenda for the day, right? What you were consulted for, what the patient believes, right? And, and how are you going to merge those two to be able to help the patient? So once you seek an understanding with the patient, right, gauge what their interest is in what you're trying to tell them, right? Because if, if they have no interest in nutrition, discussing nutrition, you may not get anywhere with that. You may just talk about the disease, right? Maybe it's a focus on the disease, right, uh, making sure that they understand, you know, what happens if they don't intervene, right, and if they're not ready. And suppose they are ready, right? Then you can present like some options and to see what the patient is willing to try or even ask the patient like, hey, what have you, what have you tried before when it came to this? And say it's a new diagnosis, right? And they haven't tried anything, right? Thinking of what you learned in your conversation of understanding, bring that into how you tailor that intervention, right? So if they've already told you that they're not going to go see an endocrinologist, right, for their diabetes, us pushing that. I mean, we have an obligation to do it, right? You mentioned it. If the patient says they're not interested, you still have them in front of you. You still have to do something for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, it becomes about what's the patient willing to do right? Is the patient willing to change their diet? And if they are, then great, let's work on this piece. Well, maybe they're not willing to change their diet, but they are willing to monitor. So I think it's a little bit of, of give and take with what the patient's willing to do, what we need to do as clinicians. But a bigger piece of it too is understanding their their um, their thoughts about a, a belief and then even exploring the belief with them. So if you have someone that says, oh, you know, I don't trust I don't trust Western medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't trust it because of this, right? Explore the thought with them, you know, because nine times out of 10, a patient or anybody can come to the conclusion that maybe what they believe is not real. Like maybe it's irrational. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I can actually think of an example with that. I had a, a family member that, you know, refused to do medicine for their diabetes, but they were very strong in their belief of the of the moringa, right? That they were going to take this herbal supplement that was going to cure their diabetes. And at the time, as tempting as it was to be like, well, that's not true, that's not going to work. Um, approaching them from a, okay, well, you know, have you checked your A1C lately? Um, the answer was no. They followed up on their A1C and it was very high. So they themselves came to the conclusion that, okay, this herbal supplement is not enough to fix my diabetes. I'm going to start, you know, taking my metformin or whatever medication they had to stop taking, but you can only <laughs> work with where they're willing to go and have them come to that realization on their own. So love it, love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. 
Any final comments? Um, I guess one of the things that I would say is, um, you know, when in doubt about how to approach a patient or what to do, like there's nothing wrong with reaching out to a colleague, right? Like I know that there are fields of, of nutrition that I am not an expert in, right? And so I, I'm going to reach out to somebody, right? And even, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, after the fact, right, in hindsight, because we can't predict where an appointment will go, right? We can't predict how a conversation will go. But if you went into an appointment and it just was not successful, maybe you didn't uh, focus on, like, the cultural aspects of things that were important to the patient. Maybe you didn't probe as to the why as much. Maybe you didn't, you know get the patient to make a commitment to change, right? Go back and, like, see where the process went wrong, see what you could do better. But if it's something that's not in your scope or something you feel uncomfortable with, there's never uh, anything wrong with asking for help or even asking, you know, someone to share their experience. No, absolutely. There's so many different layers to nutrition that sometimes you just need to reach out for help. Um, but thank you so much for being on. I hope you had fun. And uh, that's it for this week, guys. Thank you. And finally, a quick disclaimer. Food Culture Curious is for educational and entertainment purposes only. I am a registered dietitian, but I am not your registered dietitian. If you have any healthcare concerns, please speak to a doctor. Thank you for listening.